you have the stomach to sustain things, your heart tells you to do things, and you have the brains to think on how to evolve and to entail this to, to the people who are visiting us. And I think that's what Athens is all about right now. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Another exciting podcast guest today, a man who is very known in Greece because he has changed the hospitality industry. He is a very, very good hotel manager. And I know that because I know about hotels. I've been around the hotel world for many years and my daughter studied at EHL. I'm always proud of that. He is the general manager of the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Athens. He is the president of the European Hotel Managers Association. He was hotel manager of the year in 2014. And uh, we're going to find out what else he is, because I know that there is a lot more. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Panos Almirandis. Elizabeth, thank you for hosting me. But I have to say that at the core of what I am, uh, I never introduced myself into something more than a glorified guest relations agent, because that's <laughs> what we all are. Um, you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a fantastic profession, as very many people say. To me, it's a way of life. It's passion. That's why I always thought that uh, it's all about people, and it it still is about people. But don't you think it would be nice if we were all a glorified guest relations agent in life? I think that, uh, that this is a fundamental element of success and of happiness. Uh, you know, without happiness, you cannot do things right. Um, if you're not happy in your personal life, in your social life, in your family life, in your professional life, then there is absolutely no way that uh, you will uh, you will be successful. So success definitely passes from happiness and from being uh, a glorified communicator or curator, I would say, in life. Yeah, and you can't really fake it. It it has to be authentic because otherwise it shows. I think that uh, the word that you just used, authentic and authenticity, is something that we all have a need for. And, you know, very often we talk about luxury and uh, I always say that luxury is entailed by people in a very different way. Luxury to you might be to have a dinner, let's say, in, in a glorious restaurant uh, on a top floor in New York. Uh, luxury to me might be to be in a nice taverna uh, and enjoy some nice um, Cypriot and Greek uh, delicacies. Uh, it all has to do with what we have a need for, and that's that's what it's all about. So, uh, you know, uh, I think that you couldn't be more right on what you're saying. Mm, and luxury could also be for someone to be able to turn on a water tap or an electricity switch in a place where they don't have such things. So, you know, it's it's a big, 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 that's a totally other story. Let's talk about hospitality. When did you think that you would want to be go into the hotel industry? Well, you know, it's very funny, but I never had anyone in my family who was part of the hospitality industry or hotels. The only closer to, you know, to, to hospitality or hotel image was my aunt, who used to work in summers at the Club Mediterranean at that time in Corfu, because my mom comes from Corfu. So, you know, she took me with her two or three times, and I, I always got, you know, um, shocked in a positive way as a child from, you know, you know this huge buffet arrangements with lobsters and with uh, animators going around and clapping hands. And, and, you know, we're talking about the Club Mediterranean back in the late 70s, beginning of 80s. So you can imagine the the luxury element, which, to go back to what we were saying before, wasn't really luxury, but it was what people had a need for. So we're talking about sustainability today, 
but climate internet was sustainable 40 and 45 years ago. So I think that was the first time that I saw something, you know, that was close to the hotels and hospitality. Then I always remember when my parents had someone home, you know, invited someone to come for dinner or to stay over family members and so on. I always looked for the details like the spoon, the knife, how the table uh, arrangement is made, um, you know, opening doors in, in, in guest rooms, ensuring at home that we've put a blanket, we've put towels and so on. And then one morning I woke up and I said to my mom and dad, I want to follow hotels. Naturally, none of them knew what this is. And I have to say that at that time, we had a sort of a stereotype by saying that if you follow hotels, you will be a glorified waiter. And, um, you know, um, I always think about what made me um, feel mesmerizing when it comes to this, uh, to this way of life, the hotelier. Uh, I never thought that I would make it to a gym. In fact, I don't think that none of us back in, in the school that I studied, in the Swiss school that I studied, thought that we we're going to make it as general managers. Because what really in inverted quotes, seduced us was, you know, the the body language of the waiters when they were asking for from guests what they wish to, to be treated with, or you know, the the concierge, you know, the clef door that we saw. Um, and you know, one day we we graduated school and we said, we're now out, we're the ones who are gonna do that. I don't think that any of us thought that we would make it to this position. And, you know, I always thought that once you make it to this position, you're nothing more or less than every one of the people in different positions, restaurants, bars, guest relations, sales, marketing, public relations. Um, that's why I'm saying we're glorified guest relations agents, because that's the beauty of this, of, of this amazing um, profession, as it's called. So you studied in Switzerland, but then you also went to Cornell. You you finished your degree in Switzerland. You felt like you wanted more. You I didn't go to Switzerland. I went to Greece to the Alpine Center, which was associated with uh, IHTTI, ah, okay, uh, Institute for Hotel and Travel and Tourism in, in Neuchâtel. So we studied in in Greece, and the great thing about our studies was the fact that the school was and still is. Part of a hotel, so students operated the hotels with regular duties, um, and of course the academic program. And then at the end of the third year, we had to go for about a month for a final examination, uh, as well as, um, a, 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 let's say, a, a, as they call it, a, a year uh, progress project uh, that we had to build a hotel. So I did all that, and then one day I, you know, I, I thought that I. I would love to further my studies. And I didn't go to Cornell. I went to Johnson and Wales University, which is in Providence, Rhode Island. So to put it bluntly, that was the American number two in hotels because Cornell was extremely expensive. And then once I transferred my credits and I completed the, um, uh, the hospitality administration, I said, well, you know what? I want to do a master's. So when I told my dad that I want to do a master's in something other than hotels, he said, why? I said, listen, how much more can I learn in hotels from which side to serve what and what to do? So I did a, um, a master's in international business with a minor of economics. And that was really a striking moment because it helped me understand that apart from the rooms division or the food and beverage path, you also need to account for numbers 
And then, you know, I started progressing into my career. And at some point, I attended the general manager's program in Cornell, which is a great program. Um, and that's pretty much my academic path. That's a good one. I think that is a, that's a good one, but that's not enough because you, as you say, you have to like people. And uh, I worked at some point in my life, I worked in a hotel in Zurich and the general manager was one of those real, you know, those full-blooded hotel director, hotel managers, a bit like you, this similar kind of, and I used to watch him walk around the hotel lobby and he used to see things on the floor, you know, like, I don't know, a string or something, and he would pick it up. And that really impressed me. He didn't call somebody. He didn't call a a, a cleaner or, or or a housekeeper. He did it himself because it's easy to to call people to do things. But you have to be hands on, don't you? Um, I always thought that when you're hands on and when you are doing, you know, many many people talk about management by example, and some others talk about leadership. And I personally believe that it's very difficult to find leaders because practically we don't really know what a leader or who a leader is until they become one. And then after death, we, we, you know, we pretty much say this person has been a leader. So I always say to the team, we need to apply leaderment, which is a blend between leadership and management. And yes, indeed, it is leaderment to walk around and not having to call someone, but pick something up from the floor. floor. Uh, it is leaderment to be in the lobby when it's extremely busy and when you see, you know, the reception team and the guest relation team facing uh, challenges or uh, talking to guests and you jumping in and acting as a guest relation agent in an effort to assist them. Um, so many different things that we can do. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's so nice when you go, you pass from the breakfast area in the morning and you see that the hostesses are very busy and, you know, you welcome someone and say, please, sir, madam, follow me. That's the only way that you can really understand what's happening at your hotel as well. You know, very often my team comes and say, you know, they call me after six hours uh, of coming up to work and they say, we're waiting for you in the office, but when are you going to come? And I say, well, the first day that you find me in the office, that's that means that we have a challenge because I don't need to be in the office. It's pretty much like the captain. The captain in ships is up in the bridge and the bridge of the hotel is the reception, the lobby, the restaurants, the bars and so on. That's the only way that you understand what's happening. And that's the only way that, you know, you infuse also power to your team. Otherwise, yeah, it's all about numbers and it's all about statistics. But you need to be there. And that's something very, very important. You know, we have reached the age of artificial intelligence. Uh, many people are afraid of AI. People think that they're going to be replaced by something or by. How far can artificial intelligence be applied in the hospitality industry? It definitely is applied in very many um, applications. You know, you, we have an app for everything. And uh, I recall a, a guest like uh, five years ago. I was discussing with him about uh, something. And I said, well, we have this mobile application that does this and that. And he says to me, listen, Panos, I live in London. I need an app to order flowers to my wife. I need an app to pay the school fees of my kids. I need an app to call a taxi. I need an app to, to book a restaurant and so on. Um, people are irreplaceable. There is always a need for people and there is always going to be a need for people. I mean, look at what happened with COVID. The very first thing that we all had to face was not the fact that the economy stopped, was the fact that we, we were forced to stay at home alone. 
Uh, and you saw the side effect of it immediately after we reopened. Everybody traveled and they're still traveling and everybody, everything is skyrocketing. Uh, why? Because people have a need for people. This is never going to end. And if you combine that with the challenge that we all face nowadays, which is finding personnel, what's the thing that we all talk about? Hospitality or not hospitality? Finding people, recruiting people, you know, attracting youngsters into our profession that indicates a strong need for people. So, yeah, I mean, you will definitely find lots of solutions, a lot of applications and very many things that have to do with AI, but no way if AI will replace what the um, Ritz-Carlton is doing, which is ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Nobody will call you by your first or your last name. Nobody will remember what your habits were the previous time and what you want to do. Nobody will pick up the phone and, you know, offer you a curated experience. And I think that we're all tired from being in front of a screen and reading things and replying to things. We have a deep need for communication and communication only comes through people, not through apps. And kindness, I guess, won't is not replaceable by artificial intelligence because kindness is very important as well. And what you're saying about people spending a lot of time in front of a screen, I've got a friend who ha- owns a travel agency in Switzerland, and she says that she's getting more and more busy because people are tired of booking their own flights because they spend so much time already in front of a, of a screen. So um, it's interesting that it, how the world has developed. But you mentioned COVID before. How did you feel when you suddenly had to stay at home? Oh. I think COVID, to to pick it up from where you left it, is also combined uh, with empathy. And that's something that we all have a need for. Um, Yeah, you know, in the beginning, we were all shocked. Then we understood that it's not going to be something for two or three or five days. Then some of us, I will dare to say that we even enjoyed our time home because we rediscovered ourselves. We rediscovered our families. We rediscovered things about our homes. You know, we, we, we... we all go home and we sleep home, but we spend, you know, just some few moments of our daily life at home. We just go to eat and sleep and go back at work. So I think it was a, a very beautiful new discovery for all of us. Obviously, you know, there were some unfortunate um, circumstances with people not spending nice time with each other uh, at home. Uh, but I think that those of us who they lacked a lot of time and personal moments from their past. We rediscovered our families. We rediscovered what home is all about. We got some time to relax, to cook, to walk around, to watch, you know, a nice show. And then, of course, we had the reverse shock of reopening our hotels. And that's when the the challenge with with the personnel stroke us all. And and it still is around, actually. Yeah, I think it just showed many people don't want to have irregular working hours anymore. That's probably the the, uh, the after effect of of COVID. Do you think that's going to come back? I mean, personally... For me, there is no no other industry as beautiful as the hospitality industry. But because but of course it does involve when you work with people, people live 24 hours a day. So it does involve involve irregular hours. Do you think people will come back? Young people will rediscover this? I think it's a combination. First of all, we all talk about how to attract 
people. Uh, but I think that we should prioritize by putting on the top of the list how to retain our existing people, how to promote from within, how to showcase to, to these people that you are important. And, and you know, uh, once you do that, they will be your ambassadors. I mean, they will just go out and say to friends, family members, and so on, listen, I work in this place, hotel, for instance, and, you know, we're promoted from within, we're recognized, we are awarded, and that will bring people, you know, people have a need for rewarding, and that's something that we really need to look into right now. And of course, once we, once we start working on that, uh, definitely we will attract more people and we will recruit people. But at the same time, it is combined with what we're doing at schools. And, you know, I'm a father of two, 18-year-old girls. One of the first things that I said to my daughter, I said, listen, if there is something that you want to follow as a profession, let's discuss it. If you don't, if you haven't decided yet, let me just tell you without any, you know, force into convincing you or so, make sure that you understand that the hospitality industry is fascinating because first of all, it's not just one position. You have an array of different positions. Second, if you want to become global, you can travel anywhere in the world. And guess what? You don't have to account for where you're going to stay, what you're going to spend, where what you're going to eat. Usually, it goes with the territory, which is the only profession that gives you that. You become bi or multilingual, provided that you want you know, to work in different countries. You get to explore the world. And at the same time, you simply cannot become unemployed. There is absolutely no way that you will be unemployed, be it in the hotels, restaurants, bars, and or other professions that are correlated with the hospitality industry, like you know um, anything that is related to transfers, um, water sports, uh, animation. So you know that's the beauty, and that's that's what we should. I think focus on when we talk to, to the young people, because the young people, we haven't done what we should be doing with them in order to show them how to explore the industry. They see a hotel, uh, you know, they, they, they see this nice and shining uh, building, but they also hear that you have to work a lot of hours, which is why I say it's a passion and it's not a profession. Uh, we need to showcase to them what's nice about it and what's beauty about it. And of course, that it has security because it has security. This part of our interview, this question that you're, this, what you just said should be tweaked and used as an uh, as advertising because that was so beautifully said and it's so true. <laughs> I think young people really, they should understand how much they can gain because like I've spent all my life more or less in the hospitality industry and I have, I love it. I love it and I... <laughs> You know, it's it just, it, there is so much, as you say, it's not just a hotel. It's not just, it, it, I was a tour guide for 11 years. I lived in hotels and you become like part of it. You become an ambassador as well for a hotel where you've lived in. You know, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about is because we met in Nicosia in Cyprus at the conference um, of the uh, Cyprus Association of Travel Enterprises. And the theme of that conference was sustainability. And um, you had a very interesting presentation about sustainability. Now, luxury hotels and sustainability, is that a little bit controversial? Can luxury hotels be sustainable? Do you have to change the sheets every day? I think that it's part of what people want nowadays. Uh, it's all about sustainability. And, you know, 
Once upon a time, uh, let's talk about the bonuses of hotel general managers. It used to be, as they say, FLS, fire life safety. Today, it's ESG, environment, social, and governance. Uh, so it's not what we say, it's actually what the guests are saying and what they're expecting. And you know what? We don't have to do nothing more than what the guests want to. It's just a matter of explaining to the guests. It's a, it's, it's a matter of showing to them what you're doing. And it's a matter of making them part of the whole equation. Uh, you see Four Seasons, Ritz-Carlton, Dorchester, Mandarin Oriental, Six Senses. You know, companies, I'm just throwing some names of companies that people believe that they're synonymous to luxury, but these are the first companies we talk about. Um, sustainability. And these are the first companies that apply sustainability. But what is sustainability at the very end? Is it just a matter of uh, how to clean the sheets and how often you clean them and how many trees you save and the plants and so on? I think it's a way of life. It's a it's, lot more than that. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's it's much more than that. It's, it truly is a way of life. And, you know, uh, uh, until about five or six years ago, we used to blame those guests who were talking about sustainability and, and you know there was always a funny story now we've been talking about Banos Almirandis the hotel general manager but I want to talk about the man a little bit about because this is a travel podcast after all where do you go on holidays what is your favorite place in Greece for example you said you're for, you were you're from Corfu Corfu is one of my favorite places in Greece my mom is from Corfu and my late dad was from the Peloponnese. So I, okay. I have a different blend. Very often I talk to my friends and I say, and, and by the way, I'm 50 years old. So, you know, I, I, I always said that I have well-traveled within the country, but I very often to say to friends that if us Greeks were clever, we would not travel to any other part of the world and we would just explore the thousands of islands that we have because of the different, you know, local cuisines, the style of, 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 of the architecture, um, the infrastructure, uh, you know, we have rocky islands, but we have very enriched and very green islands. What I like to do is I like to bet to spend time in places like, uh, my wife comes from the area of Volos. Okay. Uh, That's where I used to take the bus to when Olympic Airways was on strike. <laughs> So I'm sure that you are familiar of uh, Mount Pilion. Yes. So um, my wife has a small hotel up uh, by the ski slopes, and I spent fantastic time there, be it during winter or summer. Summer, when we have 35 to 4 degrees Celsius, I go up there and it's so relaxing. Um, I, I really enjoy it. Skiathos is a very beautiful island with amazing uh, uh, beaches. Corfu, but also the Peloponnese and the northern part where you can drive uh, by car. Um, I have been very privileged in my life and because of my profession, I have really well traveled all over the world to so many different countries. But, you know, no offense, I never encountered the beauties that Greece has. And, and as I said, again, it's still so unexplored to me. There are so many different places and parts that we that I can go with my family. And I try to make sometimes, you know, I have two girls that are 18 years old and one baby, which is four months old. So, um, you know, we still have some time to yeah, travel. a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm quite busy, I have to say. But you are right about Greece. I mean, if Greece was my first love, I went as a very young tour guide to Rhodes, for my first summer and 
uh, and then to Skiathos. But I still now, when I sometimes want to meet up with a friend coming, from, I come from Cyprus, they come from Switzerland. We met in Thessaloniki, we drove to Halkidiki, we went to Vergina. There's so much to do. When you think of the north of Greece towards the border of, of uh, North Macedonia, that's a completely different world. And, you know, that's the beauty of the country that, that you can go up north and it's totally different to an island or to the southern part. And, and you, you get to see also the way people speak, the way people act, the local customs, the local traditions. Um, and, and that's not just in a specific season. Uh, we're now in the Greek Orthodox uh, Easter period. Uh, so even the, the, the way that Easter is celebrated so differently from part to part. Halkidiki uh, that you mentioned, what a what a great area. I spent two years of my life there. And uh, Rhodes, that's where my daughter was, uh, were born. So I spent four and a half years of my life there. And, and that's another beauty with, with, with our profession. You know, you get to, to live in different places. And I have to say that at the same time, you also get to meet people that remain friends for life. And that's another Absolutely. However, when you do travel and you do leave your beautiful country, where do you go? What do you like? Do you like Asia? Do you like the US? Which which part of the world would you travel to if you had to go holiday somewhere else except Greece? I've well traveled in the US because I was studying there for three and a half years. So I saw and, and I always got excited by the different the, the way of each state handles differently. A bit of everything. I was always fascinated from that. Asia is a very beautiful place. Uh, you know, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, the Philippines, um, all those parts. Middle East, another great uh, part. And what to say about Cape, Cape Town? Uh, oh, I love Cape Town. Oh, my God. Yes. Beloved destination. Uh, amazing climate, great people, fantastic wines, such a tasty food. Uh, but also you get, you know, Europe, so many different uh, places that are well known. Uh, and, you know, when you're when you're part of Europe, you get to travel easier within Europe for profession and, uh, you know, some personal time as well. Well traveled around uh, Russia. Once I was talking with a Russian colleague and he asked me how many cities I have visited in Russia. And. I think there were 42. And he said, Jesus Christ, that's much more than an average Russian is visiting. But I think that wherever you go, uh, you have to really experience the place of the local people. It's only them that they show to you the, the, you know, the real local communities. And community is a very important word for me because you know, community has to do with the way people speak, they act, they react, they eat, they drink all their customs or their habits. Uh, and of course, it's very important to enter also into their houses because you get to see, you get, you know, infused by this local happiness and empathy that they entail. And now I'm going to say something that I probably say in every post podcast episode. Have you noticed that when because you have traveled a lot, you've been to many people's houses, don't you think that we are all the same? We all have the same needs and we all want to be happy and safe? No matter how far you go, as as I said earlier, safety is something very important uh, in a professional and personal path. And yes, indeed, we're all the same. Uh, it's just a matter of being able to absorb different communities and different customs, 
And, uh, you know, that's another thing that um, my, my life is all about. Being a hotelier, because I always say, you know, sometimes I speak with owners and they talk about the owner is saying, I'm the hotelier. And I always say, no, 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 I'm the hotelier. You're the investor. So being a hotelier, you get to see all these different parts and you get to understand that we are indeed different probably when it comes to the language and to some customs, but we're at the very end, very same, which is why I've worked in four different countries and I have so close relations still with them because we are indeed the same. You probably find some close and parts to your culture in some countries and not so close to some others, but hey, at, at the very end, it's all about being positive and being open. Absolutely. And it's about, yeah, it's about liking each other and and avoiding listening to propaganda and the media because their aim is to make sure that we dislike each other and we, that we are afraid of things. And I think fear is the biggest dream killer that stops us from living what we really want to do. We are very lucky and privileged to live in the years that we live because 100 or 200 years ago, people wanted to travel, but they just couldn't. Today, the world has become so small. You can be anywhere you want within hours. Um, isn't this really a gift? Um, what, what does it mean to be different? What does it mean to, to have different customs one from another? Um, we're so lucky to be able to see each other, to touch each other, to go to different places. I mean, what we are discussing right now, we would not be able to discuss 100 years ago. And today we're saying, do you like Asia? Do you like this, uh, you know, Africa? Do you like, because we can travel around and see all these places. So yes, it's just a matter of positiveness. And again, it's a, it's a matter of wanting to experience different cultures because at the end you experience your own. So why don't you see something different than your own? Yes. And I think this is probably why I immediately felt like I need to speak to this man when we met in Nicosia because of the positivity that you exude that I thought I have to get this guy on my podcast because I like positive people on my podcast. I'm very glad that you are here. And um, I want to ask you what's next for, are you going to stay in Athens? If you, did you ever think of going abroad again? Well, I've uh, worked so far in the UK, in the United States and in Italy. The world is so small, but it's so big. But uh, when you are a hotelier, it is very small. Um, I have a great project here at the Grand Hyatt Athens. I've been here already for a year and a half. We've expanded the hotel from 320 to 550 units, and it's now become the, um, the biggest Grand Hyatt uh, in Europe. So I think that I'm still, um, you know, I have a great team. Uh, I still have a great project to evolve, and uh, it's coming there in the next four months. We're completing all the works, and uh, I think that, you know, it's for me, it's it's of prior importance right now to be here with them. I don't know what the next step will be, but I can definitely tell you that I'm extremely proud of what the team has done, um, or in conjunction with our investors, of course. And uh, you know, Athens is doing fantastically, but uh, with this new arrival of the Grand Hyatt Athens expanding so much, I think we have a, a great um, next five years ahead of us. So, you know, time will show. We'll see. Now we're coming to the end. You know, as we say, time flies when you're having fun. If this is your last chance. Why tell people why should they come to Athens? Well, Athens, um, you know, I, let me answer it in this way. 
As I said earlier, I'm 50. So I've lived, I was born and raised and lived in Athens when Athens was quite challenging in its infrastructure. And when it wasn't that much of a, a very well-organized destination. Today, Athens has evolved. It has changed. Definitely, you know, a fundamental, um, let's say, uh, part of macro and ma- micro and macro economy is whatever goes up, will go down and then it will go back up again. So unfortunately, we're very famous for the financial crisis that we had between 2010 to 2016. That really helped Athens a lot. Today, you see foreign investment, you see development, you see involvement, you see new buildings, you see real estate development, you see um, working on infrastructure, you see facelifts in buildings, you see new restaurants, new bars, respect for the city, um, lights. So Athens is changing and it's changing rapidly. We have so many new projects like, you know, Elinicon, um, the X airport is now becoming something that in the next eight years, eight to 10 years, as I say, it's going to be like the fillet of, of, of Europe. Hotels have really worked into reconstructing their facilities, renovating, um, you know, the famous Singru Avenue, which is also where the Grand Hyatt is. 10 years ago, if you would go in it, if you would hop on a taxi uh, from the, let's say, beachfront to the city center, you would see deserted buildings and so on. Today, you're talking about a full facelift in everything, hotels around, um, new restaurants, new bars, and of course, this very well put Athens Riviera in inverted quotes concept, which is how we call the promenade and its connectivity with, with, with the Athens city center, where you have you know, the Acropolis, the, the museums and so on is, is really a great advantage over other European and, and global cities. Because Athens, we say that Athens is a big city, but it's not that big after all. And in which other city can you be in eight minutes from the city center down to the beach? Which other city has only three uh, months of winter? There are so many beautiful parts of the city. And of course, when we go to my profession, you will also see the arrival of so many different uh, international brands. About 10 years ago, we used to have four to five brands. Today, the Four Seasons is here, the One and Only is here, the Grand Hyatt is here, the Marriott is expanding, Autograph Collection, Luxury Collection, uh, Moxies, and so on. So, so, you know, it, it's all happening. Athens is now the city to come and enjoy. And of course, people are proud, Greek people are proud, be it an Athenian or a Christian one, they are very willing to show to, to, to the visitors what our culture is all about. And, you know, we have this word that is called the philotimo, which cannot be translated into any other language in the world. And that's something that comes, I always say that philotimo, if you could, let's say, give an explanation, would be the connection between a stomach, triangle to the heart, and then to the mind. And, you know, if this evolves and goes around, it means that you have the stomach to sustain things, your heart tells you to do things and you have the brains to think on how to evolve and to entail this to, to the people who are visiting us. And I think that's what Athens is all about right now. I don't think you could have ended this any better. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on Most Memorable Journeys today, Panos Almirandis. Thank you. Thank you very much for hosting me, Elizabeth. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.